All right. Well, I forgot to mention those of you who are joining via our live stream. Thank you so much for uh, being up, being with us here today. We wish that you were with us, but we certainly understand uh, you not being here. We're glad that we can connect in this way even still. A couple things I want to mention to uh, everybody here before we get going with today's message. And one is Audrey Larson. Some of you, uh, maybe, maybe many of you know the Larsons. And Audrey, uh, one of their daughters, is going to be traveling to Jordan. Actually, she's leaving today. And she's going there for eight weeks as she's going to be uh, ministering to uh, Muslims there in that area. Um, and so that's, that's a huge deal. And um, I certainly had an opportunity. Yep, that's right. I had, a pri- I had the privilege of sitting down with her on Thursday to uh, pray over her and on your behalf because uh, she wasn't able to be with us here today. Uh, but she did leave some bookmarks. Uh, are, these bookmarks are on the table that Pastor Don is at right there in a box. And we want to welcome or encourage you to grab one of these bookmarks and use that as a reminder to be praying for Audrey as she's going uh, to be ministering this, this summer. also wanted to let you know, uh, so over here on this table, we have some jars. If you haven't noticed, we have some peculiar pictures that are there. you got to check it out. Uh, Steve Peterson drew those. I believe he still has to draw one more. As I remember correctly, yep. But this is the deal. On, on the 27th, so that's a Sunday, our final outdoor service. That's when we're doing our community family picnic. For jumpy houses, petting zoo, free food. It's going to be a really great time. Uh, but from now up until that time, we're going to be raising money to rescue one child from sex trafficking through Destiny Rescue. And that is $1,500, $1,500. And one way that we're going to do that is each of those jars represents a staff member here at North Haven Church. And on the table, you have images, caricatures that were drawn by Steve Peterson of each of us. Very, very flattering images, if I might say so myself. And this is how it's going to work over the course of the month. So today, next Sunday, the Sunday after that, and during the service on the 27th, we want to encourage you to put money into each of those jars. And whoever, whichever staff member, has raised the most money by the end of this month, by the 27th, they are the fortunate person to get a pie in the face by by someone who draws the raffle ticket at the community family picnic, all right? So that's the deal. We want to raise money to rescue a child through sex trafficking, but have fun while we're doing it. So put money in each of those jars. Each of the staff members have already begun their personal campaigns to ensure they're not that person. But after the service, you can certainly check that out. Um, don't know if it was mentioned, but we also, whenever we do communion, that first Sunday of the month, we also take a benevolent offering, and that's for people in our church and then in our community who are in need of financial assistance. If God's leading you in that way, we invite you to give, and you could do so in these buckets. There's one up there as well. And then um, uh, the last thing I want to mention here is uh, Stephen Ministry. We started about a year and a half ago 
pursuing Stephen ministry here once again at North Haven. That had been uh, prevalent years and years ago. We wanted to bring it back. And so in February of 2020, right before the pandemic began, we sent three people, including Don Mortensen, Pastor Don Mortensen, and Meredith Dupree, we sent them to California to bask in the sun, sit on the beach. Not really, right? Nope. They spent every waking hour in Stephen Ministry training so that they could come back and then subsequently train Stephen ministers for this church and community. Uh, and we, next Sunday, are going to be commissioning eight people who have gone through this rigorous training. It began in March, and they have one more Sunday on two, or one more Tuesday, they're going to do that training, and then we're going to commission them. We're going to prepare them for the work that God has called them to, and uh, so we're certainly excited about, about that. All right. Well, we are in a series this month called Who Cares? And it's, I think, appropriate not only concerning Stephen ministry, what I just mentioned, and how it is that that ministry operates, that the whole, the whole goal of Stephen ministry is to be able to uh, set trained individuals up to walk with others who are in desperate need of support, of encouragement, of prayer, of a listening ear. And I think that, that if, if any time in our past... Right now is probably one of the most pivotal moments to provide that level of intentional support, care, and encouragement. Each, each one of us have, been, have, have succumbed. We've been, we've been experiencing a wealth of frustration and discouragement. And there is so much depression, anxiety, weariness, isolation that is happening and affecting countless individuals. And so I think that that's actually a question that's asked by many people these days, and maybe even yourself. Who cares? Who really cares, maybe even specifically, about me? Who cares about me? Now, I've mentioned to you before that, that uh, I've struggled many times with that question. That is, that is a very real sentiment that many of us, if not all of us, if we're, truly, if we're truly honest with one another, would admit that we struggle sometimes answering the question, who cares? And so in light of Stephen ministry, and in light of what it is that we've experienced these last 14 months, not to mention all the other life difficulties that we deal with on a daily basis, I think it's important to look at several emotions, several, several realities that we find ourselves in and struggle with, wrestle through, and that God then specifically speaks to in His Word. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. John chapter 11 I'm going to invite you to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that, or you can look at the screen behind me. All right, no screen, hey? but uh, you can get on the live stream, you can look at the verses there, or you can have your Bible app and certainly follow along there. 
We're going to be looking at a story that is probably pretty familiar, at least the general story, and that is the story of Lazarus. Story of Lazarus. And we're going to dive right into it, starting with verse 1 of chapter 11, John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of, of Mary and her sister Martha, and just, just because John knows that we are fickle and we forget very easily, he helps us out. He says, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, by the way, just a quick segue, quick side note, Michael, fantastic job last Sunday. Thank you so much for preaching the message. Michael, who was up doing the announcements, I'm glad that, uh, that we were able to uh, learn about lament, so thank you for that. Uh, but a few weeks ago, we talked about a, a woman who is described as sinful. And we talked about what that meant and then how Christ responded to that. This is not that person. If you remember, we made a distinction between Mary who poured perfume that is described in these verses and that this woman who is, to, or that woman who is described sinful was a different person. So the sister sent word to Jesus. So Lazarus was sick, and the sister sent word to Jesus, and the message was this, Lord, the one you love is sick. So right off the bat, right off the bat, we got to look at some of, the, some of the initial facts. The first is this, Mary and Martha knew who Jesus was. Obviously, they knew who Jesus was. But they not only knew who Jesus was, but they both believed and expected, they both believed and expected Jesus to come and heal their brother. That wasn't a hope. That wasn't, that wasn't some word that they heard from other people, a rumor. No, they actually believed and expected Jesus to heal their brother. And that right there, that is often the birthplace of disappointment. That is the secret sauce, the secret recipe of disappointment. Because we become, you and I, we become disappointed when we believe in something or someone and then when we expect certain results from that someone or something. We believe in someone or something, and then we expect certain results from that someone or something. And quite honestly, disappointment can be a very real thing. Can we all agree with that? Disappointment is a very well-known fact in each of our lives. We actually all, it takes 10,000 hours to become a master of something, we are all masters at disappointing people. And because we're all masters at disappointing people, we are all masters then of being disappointed. It's a very real thing. So further in verse 4, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, so sick that Mary and Martha are completely concerned enough to send word to, to Jesus in hopes of Lazarus being healed, When Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. 
will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. As is the case for all of us, all the time, all the time, the only one, the only one in the story who truly knew the outcome was Jesus. No one else knew. No one else knew what was about to happen. Certainly not Mary, certainly not Martha, certainly not the disciples. Mary and Martha, they wanted healing so that Lazarus wouldn't die. They believed his sickness was so strong that death was inevitable. And they, they didn't want their brother to die. All of us can relate to that. That is why they reached out to Jesus, because they believed that Jesus was the only way that Lazarus could be healed. So they wanted healing so Lazarus wouldn't die, but Jesus wanted healing too. However, he didn't want healing from sickness and said Jesus wanted healing from death itself. And Jesus didn't want healing so that Lazarus wouldn't suffer from this sickness. Rather, Jesus wanted healing for God's glory to be clearly seen. So further in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary. Right off the bat, John makes that clear. And he does that for a very specific reason. Because what we read next does not seem like love. In verse 6, so when he heard this, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That, I mean, that, that should strike us. That, that should cause us pause. Because this seems ridiculous. It seems ludicrous. I mean, because none of us here, none of us would ever imagine or conceive of hearing that a loved one was sick on their deathbed that we would purposely, not because of geography, not because we didn't have the time, but for intentional, purposeful reasons, stay away for two days. We would never conceive of that. That's why the author here, John, he specifically, in light of how un unnatural this is in our perception, the, the author here, John, specifically points out that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. And he's almost like saying, okay, I know I'm going to say something just preposterous, but bear with me. He really loved Mary and Martha. John points this out so that Jesus wouldn't come across as uncaring. And this is important because Jesus intentionally stays away, as, as we said, and he stays away... And this is important. He stays away so that Lazarus would die. Jesus stays away for no other reason so that Lazarus would die. Why would Jesus do that? Again, in every way, in all things, Jesus did what he did so that God would be glorified. So that the Glory of God would be so obvious. And the painful thing, as far as Jesus was concerned, imagine being in Jesus' shoes. 
No one saw or understood this. Nobody. Jesus had the complete picture. But no one saw what Jesus said, saw. No one knew what Jesus knew. So Jesus did not go to Lazarus right away. But he didn't go to Lazarus right away, not for lack of love. He didn't go to, Jesus, to Lazarus right away because his love was so tremendously great. We'll get into a little bit more as to how that is, why that is. So in verse 11, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus, he's saying this to his disciples. And again, you got to, sometimes, sometimes uh, the Bible plays out like a Seinfeld episode. It is absolutely hilarious. Because imagine here, right? Jesus is saying to his disciples, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I am going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. It's almost like they, they thought that Jesus and Lazarus had some sort of arrangement that Jesus was going to like wake him up every morning or something. But as, as we've seen time and time again, when Jesus says, says something, the disciples, they, they just don't have the ability to understand so Jesus had been speaking of his death, it says in verse 13. Lazarus' death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then as Jesus constantly had to do throughout, uh, throughout the Gospels, he had to speak plainly, and he said, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And in verse 15, And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. That's the key. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that it was better that he wasn't present. It was better that he didn't heal Lazarus from this sickness. It was better that Lazarus died for the sake of the disciples and you and me, so that we would believe. I mean, that's mind-boggling. Jesus had a plan. He wanted his disciples and you and I to have a front-row seat as to what God was going to do through his son, Jesus Christ. He wanted the disciples to see firsthand the manifestation of the glory of God. And that is his constant motivation even today. God wants you and I to marvel at how he works in all things and in every way. Not just in the things that we're pleased in how he responds, but in all things, in every way. He wants us to see his hand in everything. So after Jesus clears this up with the disciples, he and his disciples make their way out to, out to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus now having passed. And in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, 
She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. So Martha goes out. Mary, Mary, she's, she's too overcome with her disappointment. She's too overcome with her grief, with her emotions. She can't bear meeting the Savior. And dare I suggest, dare I suggest that Mary was mad at Jesus? Does that sound sacrilegious? That Mary was mad at Jesus? Have you ever been mad at Jesus? Do you think Jesus can take that? So Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know, I know that even now God will give you whatever, you're at, whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So Martha, not Mary, goes out to meet Jesus. And we see this familiar scene, really for all of us. <laughs> this pain of disappointment. As I said, we're all masters in being disappointed and disappointing others. But this pain of disappointment is real. And because in this story, the disappointment of Martha is so real, so potent, so profound, we can, we can all relate. And Martha, she goes ahead and lays it all out on the table, doesn't she? She doesn't hesitate for a moment. There's no, there's no uh, uh, passive aggressiveness with Martha in, 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 this, in this moment. She basically tells Jesus that if he had done what they had asked of him, that their brother would still be alive. It's important to note that Mary and Martha, they didn't doubt who Jesus was. Even in this moment, Martha is displaying this amazing, profound faith in Jesus. Believing that he's the Son of God. But Martha is essentially saying here that it's Jesus' fault that her brother is dead. And so Martha is living out this human, disappointed mindset. And even when Jesus clarifies to Martha his purpose, she's still understandably focused on her perception of Jesus failing to meet her expectations. And we, we should all be able to sympathize with Martha. Martha would certainly be able to sympathize with us because this is often how we approach God. Our beliefs and expectations, namely our expectations when they aren't met based on our perception of what should and shouldn't be, we get disappointed. We live in disappointment. So after this interchange with Martha in verse 32, it says, When Mary then... She couldn't stay away. Martha goes and, and tells Mary that Jesus is here, that the teacher's here. And Mary finally gets up and she goes out as well to meet Jesus. And in verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. Pointing her finger, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? Now it's Mary's turn, right? Just like Martha, Mary is also deeply disappointed. And she's so overcome with her emotion. She's so overcome with her disappointment that she falls at Jesus' feet. In this moment here, Mary does something absolutely profound. In this moment, Mary simultaneously worships Jesus and expresses her deep disappointment in him and the situation. Simultaneously giving Jesus worship, recognizing who he is, and also sharing her disappointment in him. There's an important point in this. Martha and Mary's disappointment, their disappointment in Jesus did not mean they didn't believe in who Jesus was and what it is he could and couldn't do. Remember, they firmly believed that Jesus could and would heal. They firmly believed that Jesus could do that. And so it's important when we experience seasons of disappointment, because we certainly do, that does not automatically mean that we don't believe. That we don't believe in the Savior. That we don't believe in the Almighty. It can lead to disbelief, but it doesn't automatically mean disbelief. So as Mary is 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 is, is prostrate and 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 prostrate and <laughs> and verse thirty three, it says when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible is, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Right here, right here in this moment, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where a light bulb should go on for you and I because this is where we, we truly see Jesus' heart. But we don't see Jesus' heart in the way that maybe we would expect. So in this verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, it speaks to one of the most profound truths in all of Scripture. But we have to understand it in light of its context. So in light of its context, we have in this passage this moment where Jesus says that he was deeply, it says that he was deeply moved. Now the, the Greek that we have in this passage is important to understand because that word deeply moved, that those words, it's one word in the Greek. And that one word, it says deeply moved, it means, you have to bear with me here, Bear with me. My iPad temperature came on, and all my notes are there. So I'm going to work with the Holy Spirit now. We're going to have a relationship. We do. Now I'm just going to tap in. All right. 
When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, in verse 32, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. That word is important because that means a level of anger. It means that Jesus was incensed by this. He was, he was disturbed by this. He was angry about this. And then when it gets to Jesus wept, that word wept is different than the word that's used for the weeping that's described by Mary and Martha and the other Jews there. That word is something different. It comes from a different place, and it comes from anger. But was Jesus angry at Mary and Martha? Was Jesus angry at the Jews? Jesus' anger was not focused on Mary or Martha. It was focused on sin itself. It was focused on the result of sin, which is death. And it was focused on the giver of death, the enemy himself. Jesus was weeping because he was perfectly human. Lest we forget, Jesus was 100% God, yes, but he was also 100% human. And he will always be those two things. And because he was perfectly human, his emotions were perfect. And that he felt the full brunt force of every emotion beyond anything you and I could ever conceive. And so Jesus here is described as, as feeling uh, inextinguishable fury. Inextinguishable fury at the sin that was causing death. Perpetrated by the enemy himself. His weeping further compelled him to pursue the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb of Lazarus in verse 38. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad order for there has, he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, and I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. And when Jesus said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Jesus wanting nothing more than the glory of God to be revealed through the resurrection of Lazarus for the sake of you and me so that we would believe. Disappointment is a very real thing. And we can all sympathize with Mary and Martha. 
And we've all been in that situation, whether we care to admit it or not, where we point our finger at Jesus and we say, if you had been there, But that is a condition. That is a condition of us fixing our gaze solely and only on the circumstance. Because we clearly cannot know, we clearly cannot understand what God knows and what He understands. His purpose, His purpose and His plan is so far beyond our comprehension. Every now and then we get a glimpse of it, don't we? Every now and then we get a little glimmer of what his purpose and his plan is. But we cannot fully conceive of it. That's what makes God, God. And so if we can't understand fully, if we can't see fully, then what is it that we should fix our gaze on? We should fix our gaze on the one who is always faithful. In Lamentations, it says that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It never changes. It never diminishes. It never becomes less. And it cannot be more. And His mercies are new because our circumstances change day after day after day after day. And that's the beauty of God's mercies because they remain faithful, they remain true, and they meet our circumstances where they are. And when we fix our eyes on the Savior and not on our circumstance, you know what we see? This is what we see. And what I hope that this community, that you and this community understand Hope is in reach. Healing is within reach. In John chapter 17, not long after this incident, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, right before he knows that what he came to do is going to come to fruition, Jesus has this moment where he where he gets on his face and he is so overcome with stress. He's so overcome with anxiety. He's so overcome with grief and with fear that it says that he was dripping blood through his sweat. He knew what was coming. And he kept repeating to God, Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, and God said, no, this is the way, this is it, this is what we got to do. And Jesus says this, he says it towards the end of his wrestling. In chapter 17 of John, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And everything changed. He got up and he met his betrayer. And he didn't fight those that were arresting him. And he willingly carried his cross and was willingly nailed to the cross 
and willingly hung there to die. And I say willingly, intentionally, because at any moment, at any moment, Jesus could have removed himself from that cross. Father, I want those you have given with me to be with me where I am. The glory of God being revealed so that you and I would believe and we would believe in the Savior, the Son of God, who came not to soothe our wounds, not to offer encouraging words, not to provide some hope of hope, but to be the embodiment of hope itself. He came to secure the means of salvation for you and for me. And the Bible clearly states that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that He's the Son of God, if you believe then that He died on the cross for your sins and for mine, so that, so that we have eternal life. If we believe in that he rose from the dead three days later and that he is not dead, but he is alive. If we believe in these things, the Bible says that you will be saved. And you will experience the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the message that Jesus came to not only live out, to execute, and then give to us, to give to others. Let us shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life, as Paul says in Philippians 2. Let us reveal the glory of God through Jesus Christ so that those might believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the, for the beauty of the sun and the wind, the trees, Lord, that are blowing, the fellowship, the friendship, the community that we have here. For the community in which we dwell, North St. Paul and Maplewood, Oakdale, Lord, thank you for, for all these people here who all have different stories and circumstances and situations, yet we all walk together as one. Yet we are unified under the banner of Jesus Christ for those who believe. And as the Holy Spirit is blowing through this place, Lord, I pray that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ would not only be realized by every single person in this room and, or in this, in this space, and if there's anybody here who has yet to make the decision to follow Jesus, I want to speak with you and I want to pray with you today so that you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and experience eternal life. But I also pray for those who do believe that we would be compelled to live lives to reveal the glory of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, so that those who aren't saved know and believe and experience eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is our mission. That is our privilege. 
that is our worship, we pray. Amen.